The Talk of the Town podcast is brought to you by Town Bank Mortgage and our family of companies. NMLS number 512138. The contents of this podcast are for informational and educational purposes only. Town Bank Mortgage is not a financial advisor. Town Bank Mortgage is an equal housing lender. This is not a commitment to lend. Enjoy. So let's get started. Thank you so much for joining us for a very exciting episode of Talk the Town podcast. Today we have Shervin Joseph with Fitzgerald Financial Group, NMLS number 188513, and Carla Holmes with Town Bank Mortgage, NMLS number 346828. Two loan officers who take pride in their initiatives for fair lending and equal housing. Shervin, Carla, thank you so much for joining me today. To get started, could you give me a brief introduction and tell me a little bit more about yourselves? Um, Carla, you go first. Okay, great. Thank you. Uh, first, thank you again, Paven, for offering us this opportunity to talk about home ownership in the Black community. I've been with Town now as a community financial engagement loan officer for a little over a year, but my background in community development is pretty extensive working with the city of Norfolk, as well as some nonprofits to include Habitat for Humanity. So I often say that um, community development found me. I noticed that there was a need for education and training in the community and especially in the black community and moving towards uh, home ownership and understanding more about affordable housing. Those are the roads that led me that led me here. Oh, I love that. And now Sherbin, just a brief little introduction about yourself as well. Thank you and thanks for having us. Um... Shervin Joseph, I'm with Fitzgerald Financial Group, a division of Town Bank uh, Mortgage. I've been in the business, uh, the mortgage industry actually, for about 36 years. I've held the highest managerial positions and I am currently a diversity outreach manager, which I love. However, my true love is always and will always be a mortgage loan officer because I'm involved with reaching out to folks and giving them the probably the biggest investment of their lives and starting them on their pathway to wealth. When it comes to the black community, something that is lacked over our history and something that we have to take ownership of, uh, no pun intended, it's a serious matter. And I take this matter seriously, passionate about it. I'm also a former Marine. So all of that is incorporated into who I am in my 36 years in the mortgage industry. Wow. Well, thank you again for your, well, for first your service and for sharing both of you. you. Very excited to, you know, bring your unique perspectives into this. I have to say, um, it's so interesting that uh, Sherbin mentioned that his love was mortgage lending and my love was community development. We make a, we make a good team. That, yes, that's such absolutely. a perfect, yeah, such a perfect marriage, so to speak, with sure, this, absolutely. Uh, for this podcast. So. Good job, Peyton. For this episode, again, we're focusing primarily on Black homeownership and Black History Month. First one, we're going to take it a little bit back to history class. I know everyone, you leave school and you're like done with that. So back to history. So where, in your opinion, do you think the growth of Black homeownership began? Shervin, I'm going to let you take that. Oh, okay. Well, you know what? Thank you. You know, a lot of folks think that it, it started with the Fair Housing Act in 1968, the Civil Rights Act and the 14th Amendment would guarantee uh, African-Americans were eligible. And I say eligible, which is called the Homestead Act. I think you could 
cite that. You know, you hear of the 40 acres and the mule. In some cases, the mule was never issued. Some mules were, and I'm condensing this because I don't want to sit here and take up too much time on, on this aspect of it. I just want to give us some history. Uh, when they repealed that, there was supposed to be 400,000 acres on 4 million Blacks that were slaves. And while that happened that, you know, uh, some people were able to uh, reap the benefit, they all lost the benefit and hence started behind. You know, we were always behind in history. Now, that's just a fact. We're not making this up. This is just something that history, you always hear the phrase 40 acres and a mule and the reparations and the conversations around that. That's where the history takes it, so historical fact. Now, look, we've had some other milestones in history, but none of them were enforced. You know, it was never enforced. It's great to have acts. It's great to have symbolism and all of this good stuff when we sign the bills and so forth. But, you know, with, with discrimination, with redlining, and we could go on and on with all the reasons why Blacks were not afforded the opportunity to not only purchase, but maintain their homes that they had. They had to fight all the discrimination pretty much on their own. It wasn't until, again, 1968, and even then, we still had redlining for years. But that's where I believe it started. And I'll stop babbling so Carla can have the mic. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Sure, um, sure. I just wanted to add thank you for that, for that history lesson, Shervin. Thank you. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but I do want to add, and as we talk about community development and Shervin touched on redlining, we hear that term a lot, but it, it was very literal. It was very literal where actually there were maps that were used. There were actual maps and it was actually, I believe, through the FHA that actually looked at the map and drew a green line and a yellow line and a red line. And to, or green and blue and red, but technically that red line was around very poor communities. And those folks that lived in those communities were African-American, they were black folk that lived in those communities. And it was decided we cannot lend in that community. Now, it just wasn't viable. The houses uh, were dilapidated. We're talking about, you know, extreme poverty. So we, we use the term redlining a lot, but it is not a technical term. It is, it was very, very literal. I do wanna just kind of add that, you know, home ownership for, um, and kind of bringing Shervin's history lesson forward into maybe the 40s and through 1960, it did increase for African-Americans around 15%, but that growth actually followed like World War II so it wasn't just for African-Americans. It was like it increased pretty much for every, for everyone. The housing boom after World War II enabled, you know, just housing construction, moratoriums were lifted and all sorts of other, other good economic changes. So it wasn't just specifically for African-Americans, but it was, it was for the population at large. No, and, and you're absolutely right. In answering the question, uh, because I wanted us to go back and thank you, Carla, for that continuum of where we mm -hmm. went, I think it's important that we understand that the highest point that we reached 
as far as growth in African-American ownership, Black ownership, was 2015, and it was at about a 49%. However, since then, you know, whether it's COVID, whether it's the housing crash, Blacks always seem to be the first ent- the first uh, race or the first community to take the, a huge plunge. Right. Their numbers plummeted after that. Now, since COVID, it has gone up a little. I mean, it, as it stands, according to the U.S. Census Bureau, I believe 75% white and 44% uh, African-American homeownership. Uh, however, it, that's a drop from 5% in 2015. So, yeah, historically, it's been, uh, well, historically, in the last 20 years, probably in the 40s, in the low 40s. But we did get to a high of about 49%, and we were making a little, you know, a little move. A little there. progress. Yes. And yeah. uh, progress was short-lived. I think it's important to note that we want to, you know, we really want to move those numbers. We're, what? What'd you say, Shervin? 48%? We want to get it to 60%. Yeah, yeah because we really oh, yeah. want... 60% is yeah. the... Yeah, there you absolutely. go. Absolutely. There you go. We there can. you go. We can. And we'll let you... We'll let yeah. you read go ahead, baby. <laughs> we no, don't that, that was a perfect segue. So thank you, Shervin, for that. You brought up two very key numbers where, you know, the pre-COVID Black homeownership number, where it was at, and how, you know, it's a little bit lower than that. So that ties into this next question of what do you think needs to be done in order to increase that number of black Americans to own their home to get that up to that 60% goal and target number? Well, we probably need to extend this program about three hours, but um, <laughs> Paula, I'll let you answer it first, please, and I'll, I'll go from there. So a couple of drivers, Peyton and Shervin, as to how we achieve that 60% goal, that could that could take a while. Um, and it's not going to be um, an easy feat, but it does require pretty much of a concerted effort to financially invest in programs that are focused, I mean, laser focused on some of the history that we've already discussed. I would like to see more programs that uh, assist with down payment assistance, uh, with credit repair, um, because those are some of those obstacles that kind of get in get in the way of uh, home ownership for African Americans. But there's so much more that can be done, really. To, I guess to be a more a, lo- a little more creative, more collaborative, and more robust ideas and consorted efforts towards it. For example, there are banks, you know, that uh, are large banks that are committed to increasing black home ownership and wealth through their private down payment and closing cost um, assistance. There's transformative investment and creative uh, home ownership ideas in cities. They have a black population and there's more room for increase of home ownership. But it really will take a widespread reform to change the state of black home ownership and to kind of bridge that racial divide. Uh, Again, federal programs such as revitalizing, especially when we talk about the stock of homes. We've Mm -hmm. got to, you know, the minimum stock that we have, what do we do? We, you know, 
oftentimes we cannot go in and or you know homeowners or potential homeowners they don't have the opportunity for new construction or a new home but we live in communities that have dilapidated housing you know so moving towards how do we revitalize these communities how do we revitalize oftentimes it could be uh, houses within rural communities how do city and state governments put money into just you know restoring those those homes and helping to build home ownership and especially a lot of those communities we we're already there you know the black population is already there we may have you know we may be renting or we may have inherited um an older home and but we really do have to as cities not we but specifically cities and local governments state governments we have to revitalize our poor communities and really put some money there and resources there that we can just do something with existing housing stock and create affordable, safe communities. Because safe housing means you're creating safe communities. Right, I, I totally agree with uh, everything that Carla said. I think that on a different, uh, there's some other ideas. I think that the future and what we could do to enhance black ownership is what we're doing. We need more lending institutions like Town Bank Mortgage to take the lead to do exactly what we're doing, whether it's, uh, and that's promoting literacy. And I think we, we're gonna have the programs. We need the programs, we need more programs. And when I say more programs, I mean down payment assistance programs, tangible programs, not just programs to say, hey, we have programs that nobody could qualify for. We need tangible programs that folks could use to get in. However, we need Blacks, uh, and, and to a certain degree, I know this is Black History Month, but to a certain degree, we need our brown brothers and sisters as well, all of those entities to understand the process. And how do we get them to understand the process? We have to do it through literacy training. And it takes all the institutions to, you know, focus in not only on getting the programs, but teaching folks that they don't have to be renters for life. Teaching folks that it makes more sense from a wealth standpoint to own a home. I mean, how many times have you done loans and you've seen the borrower is in their first home is in their 50s, 60s, and sometimes 70s? That's heartbreaking. And it's, it, it, I, I don't wanna say it's a fault of the system, it's a fault of their own. Regardless of how they got there, they got there. And in most cases, they don't understand the process. And that's literacy, that's just flat out education. Uh, whether, you know, hell, we have folks that are college graduates that are renting, okay? And that might be a parental thing that was you know, handed down from a parent to a child. If you look at most, the difference in a lot of white ownership and even, uh, you know, black ownership, those that have the opportunity, parents had done well from an income standpoint and a socioeconomic standpoint and handed that down to them and gave them a roadmap 
or a blueprint. However, those that didn't have that opportunity, the middle class or the lower middle class or, um, or, or, or lower income folks that don't have the opportunity to education and uh, the, the process and how do we get there? How do we qualify for a mortgage? How do I take care of my credit? All of that stuff, which should be, in my opinion, that's a high school class that should be taken to teach that kind of literacy on how to take care of yourself financially, okay? Because it doesn't start in college, it starts in high school. But nonetheless, it's up to the lending institutions to spend a little money, it won't be much, on education and educating folks. And then you come into the programs, we need down payment assistance. There's folks that just need some assistance. And if you give them the opportunity, they have the credit scores, they have the where it all, the income, they just need a jump start to get into the ownership uh, business. And then we need enforcement, enforcement on the discriminatory practices that do not allow black and brown folks to own property. And they're still, they're still out there, okay? We're not kidding ourselves if we're gonna sit and say that everything's hunky-dory, it's not. It's still there and we need to do a better job. So until most lenders, and I'm gonna be biased, take the approach that Town Bank Mortgage has taken and uh, take the leadership role and have delved into this and not just sat in the pockets, that's we're gonna continue in a, in, a, in a circle, a vicious circle, and folks are not gonna get where they need to go. Shervin, uh, excellent point. And to your point, just more education. You know, there's still, even I did a lunch and learn this week, and there's still the concept that 20% down is needed for a conventional loan. Yeah. I speak about that in my seminars all the time. I say, right? I don't get it in this day and age where this myth comes from. Where where did it come from? You've been in this business longer than me, but I'm like, where where did it come from? <laughs> it still exists. It still exists. It still exists. And the fact that you bring it up and I know about it, and I, if we had five other loan officers, they would all say the same thing. And it'll be surprising. And I'm gonna bring just a fun fact. I will bet it's not only black folks, oh, white no. folks and brown folks will That's say the right. same thing. Yeah. Oh, you don't need 20%. <laughs> I know um, my sons who both of them have done very well and, uh, and own and all of that stuff, but I know their friends also ask that question. There you go. These are, there brilliant, you go. Yeah. These are brilliant people. And I'm like, what? <laughs> yes. 20%? In that's this twenty percent down. Question is being asked. I agree with you wholeheartedly. That's right. That's, that's and to your point, point about education, I know that you know. I often talk to or speak to my children about a model. And even though, and Trevor, you may have experienced the same thing. Um, a lot of a lot of young, and even I'll say again, it's black and white. A lot of this this last generation that were or this past generation that are future homeowners, they haven't had specific a financial model, so right. they haven't heard the terms of down payment. I want to purchase a home. Right. Some of them haven't heard the the terms. 
spending plan or a budget or a budget. taxes. Yeah, budget. Right. Right. Um, uh, homeowners insurance. So right. I saw certain things modeled. It wasn't that someone took me aside and said, well, you need to learn this, this, and this. It was modeled. I knew that something came along with owning real estate. I knew taxes came along with it. <laughs> you know? Uh, but you so, know what? And that's right. a good point. Uh, yeah. That's a great point. Yeah. Yeah. It's conversations that, you know, that we need to be around or that our future homeowners need to be around and that they they missed out on. So that's where we come in. That's where Shervin and I come in and say, hey, right. there's there's a gap here. There's an understanding gap here. And we try to help close that gap. And that's that again, to Shervin's point, is going to be key. We're going to remove the misnomers. We're going to remove the fears, continue to coach um, and right. move and get people their keys. To them up, get them yep. the That's right. Yep. Well, before I move on to my next question, you brought up the point about the 20% down payment. I would be lying to myself if I didn't say that I didn't forget that point <laughs> earlier this week. Actually, I was making a little plan and I was like, 20% is a lot of money. I was like, wait a minute, correction. Yeah. I but I yeah. mean, it's just that stigma that's in the back of your head. That's, and for some that's people, where everybody is now. And, and let's clear, add a little clarity. With the 20%, you eliminate mortgage insurance. That's if you right. On a conventional yep. loan. However, with an FHA loan or even conventional, you could go as low as 3.5% or 3%. With a VA loan, you could go as low as 0% down. USDA is 0% down. So, again, education and options. There are options out there, but we need to get the public educated particularly people of color because they don't have the wherewithal and the exposure to understand what is available to them. 100%. And you both had also touched on different events without even, I was already planning on asking this question, but you both had mentioned events that you do for educating just on your own, not necessarily a company-wide initiative or effort, but you do your own. Do you each have a favorite either past or potential event that you have had or have in the works for educating the public? Well, um, I have a lot going on with respect to that. So I do a lot of virtual seminars to entities, whether it's the Washington Informer, whether it's the Afro, whether it's to uh, fraternities, sororities, mostly black fraternities, black sororities, mostly realtors and their folks, whether it's first time home buyers, self-employed buyers and so forth. And in some cases it's in-person and virtual. And I told them that's the best of all worlds if you could do that. However, since COVID or during COVID, the way to communicate and to reach folks was through virtual because we couldn't get together. So I found that you could get more people together, that they don't have to worry about a schedule. They could still keep this by popping their phone up wherever they are and attending. So I think that holds a good place and will be will continue. And heck, we've been very fortunate to get uh, and reach folks from a literacy standpoint a ton of folks, whether it be black, brown, whatever, into the education aspect and literacy training. I enjoy working with multiple, what we call community development corporations. I've actually served on the board of one, but the reason I, I 
appreciate those opportunities is because they offer some what we call wraparound <laughs> services. So we kind of offer a multitude of services, whether it, it could be workforce development, it, it could be transportation, you know, it could be, you know, we wrote a grant and actually got some funds for critical needs. So here's the thing, this is what I, I really love about working with the CDC because you know, high tide raises all boats, right? So we got to get to get folks towards home ownership, which I come on a board as the affordable housing advocate. But, you know, if somebody can't get to work because they don't have a car or if they can't even get employment because they don't, they may not have the equipment needed. It could be something as simple as boots or, you know, uniform. So. We start at the basics, um, but you know, just to help move folks through those hurdles to get to where they're trying to be. And oftentimes, you know, I again, I did a, an event recently where someone was there for home ownership, and she said, "But I'm not working right now." You know, she said, "But I want to own a house." So what do I do? You know, we said, "Oh, well, you're in the wrong. You're in the wrong. You're in the wrong class." No, we have to talk about what we need to do for home ownership. First of all, you don't need to put down 20%, <laughs> you know, but we do need to help you find employment. How can I refer you for that? So with the CDC, that, that's really one, one role or one way that I can bring this message um, to my community. And again, it's, it's through wraparound services, removing those obstacles and again, getting folks where they want to be but we sometimes we got to start at the at the at the bare basics it's getting folks to work as Shervin and myself go out to these events and serve the community we're all they have until we give them additional resources information and referrals yeah that's amazing and i you know i really love that there are people like you on our team and, you know, in our communities who are doing so much. And that's, you know, a big reason why you two were recommended for this podcast to kind of speak about your, your experiences and your past and what you're doing. So, you know, I really love and appreciate that. And so that kind of goes in tune with our next question. You've touched on, you know, the history of black homeownership and, you know, what you currently do, what you would like to see done. What could you expect? hopefully, potentially, for the future of Black homeownership based on either current trends or, you know, based on what's currently being done before we can get those initiatives in place? I'll, I'll start because I, I won't say it's what I can expect, but I, I, do, I do have a vision of where I would like to see the future of Black homeownership. First, we have to come with awareness, and that is what we're doing here. We have to understand the awareness and what the gap is right now and where we want to go, even with the numbers that we talked about 44, 45%. But where do we really want to go? We want to get it to at least to about 60% where our white, white counterparts in home ownership are around 74 and 75%. So how long will that take? Um, I use the term all the time, you know, how do we eat the elephant? We have to do it one, you know, one bite at a time. And I would love to see more community engagement and involvement. And it's from our local leaders, it's from our state leaders, because the homeowners are your stakeholders in your community. 
And what we have to do as city leaders and our politicians is to understand we have to make an investment into affordable housing efforts because they are going to increase our, 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 our communities in multiple ways. First of all, with, you know, in increase revenue and tax rates, but also within the, the safety, we bring more services to the community, more homeowners that we have. So my personal um, effort and advocacy service is towards, you know, partnering with city leaders to say, hey, what do you have? What do you have on your personal agenda? And if you don't have a personal agenda, let me give you one. Let's talk about home ownership. Let's talk about first time home ownership opportunities. Let's talk about, you know, moving some money over for grants again, down payment assistance again. And, but again, we have to look at what, what the setbacks are. What are we, what our community needs, but really getting out and talking and folks are not going to come down to the city offices. We've got to step into those communities and say. What's stopping you and what's stopping the population that we serve from being homeowners? And again, we're talking about um, Black History Month, but we want to create homeowners in our in our communities. They're the stakeholders, regardless of color. Absolutely, absolutely. And so also, and because we are focused on Black History Month, and and I keep bringing Brown and White in as call it is is because this is the everybody issue, but right. we're focusing on the folks that don't really have the most options, and that's black and brown folks. Yes, I think and the royal optimist in me would like to see this just about even. And as Carla said, how long would that take? Would that take 10, 15, 20 years? It started a lifetime ago. And actually, we need to start, we need to move the needle. We need to keep moving the needle and be diligent. This is such a hot topic when you're talking wealth and you're talking home ownership. You know, home ownership does so much for the family, does so much for the community. You can't just allow it to be a political issue. You can't allow it to just be a community issue. You can't allow it just to be the banking issue or the loan officers. It's all of us. Everybody has to be involved. We have to increase access to affordable credit. I think we need to take an active role in making sure that more folks qualify for mortgages and take an active role in, in education so they understand how to maintain and sustain those mortgages. In other words, we're not looking at foreclosures down the road and people losing their homes because they're not prepared. They need to be prepared. Carla was talking about budgets. Folks have to know how to budget themselves, how to create a budget, how to set themselves up to pay their property tax, how to do all of that stuff so they don't become a statistic of losing their home. I think uh, we go back to the increase in the access of down payment assistance. I think for all that we're doing now, I think we're going to make this generation that's here now and a new generation more aware and we're doing that job right now. And I like to think we're all taking ownership of that. And by literacy training, we are bringing this generation is going to probably be the, not the launching pad, but they're gonna take us over the top with making sure they're in a position of home ownership. 
I think this generation, there's some bright, bright future stars out there that's going to get us over the hump. And by training other folks, by making other people aware, they're going to see that they too could own. I just don't want to see us go through another cycle of generational renters. We don't need general generational wealth uh, renters. We need generational owners. And that's where I expect us to be. I like Holly, I like to see it at 60% and above, and I think it's doable, but there's lots of work to be done. And it's co a collective effort. Uh, lending institutions have to take a great a lead as well as political and us as individuals. I don't care if you're a processor, underwriter, loan officer, you have to play a role in making sure we close and put as many people in homes as possible and keep them there. 100%. Those are both excellent points. I'm very excited to you know share this out with everybody. Those were all of the questions that I had prepared, but is there anything else? I know you guys covered a lot of different topics from past, present, and future in regards to the topic. Is there anything else that you may want to include that we may not have already touched on? I think, I think there's more to talk about. Um, yes. There's so much more to talk about. You could probably, you know, take every question and it could be a podcast. Um, <laughs> you know, no, 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 it, which is true. Which yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, yeah it would. It it it's so much. But I do I do want to say thank you for bringing the awareness. You know, this is it's a huge it's a huge step. So it's so much more to talk about. A big old fist bump to you Absolutely. and Shervin um, right. for I this. No. I love That's... I love talking about this stuff. I I bore I That's bore my friends with get, this. We, yeah, I'm with Carla. That's the, you know, she just echoed. You love talking about it because you have a passion for it, and it's critical that you have a passion, and we all have a passion for this because that's how you solve it. Mm -hmm. That's how you get uh, get the wheels turning. So. You give yourself big, big ups and big flowers to you for for what you're doing. Conversation continuing right. all year round. This is definitely an important topic. So sure there's thing. enough to talk about. Trust me on this, <laughs> on this subject. We, we can break down subtopics and there you so, go. all sorts of there topics, you go. but there's enough to talk about. I love it. I love it. I just wanted to say thank you again for joining us and you know sharing your story, sharing your experience, and sharing your information and background. This is monumental and everyone needs to know this so i'm really really excited about this so thank you again 